Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Okay. So this morning I want to um, share um, from Mark chapter 4, the so-called, the well-known parable of the sower and the seed. Um, And uh, in, in this parable, Jesus uses a very well-known and very powerful, I almost want to say a quietly powerful image of seeds and how they grow and how they, how they can multiply and bear fruit and so on in our lives. And uh, so I just want to, um, I'm just going to read that for us in, in Mark chapter 1. And I want you to notice um, around verse 13, Jesus says something like, if you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand any of the parables? And this parable, in some ways, is, is a bit of a key that unlocks many other things and, and that unlocks a lot of the Word of God. And it's, I think you'll, you'll notice why when I read the parable. So in Mark chapter 4, you can just bring that up onto the screen um, from verse 1. There we go. It says, Again... He began to teach beside the sea. That's he obviously being Jesus. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell among, uh, along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. And other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But to those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, on rocky ground, the ones who, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others 
are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is living and powerful. And we pray, Lord, that we will do what you teach us in this parable and that we'll not just listen, but that we'll truly hear and understand that we'll receive your word in the way that you tell us to do in this parable. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, parables are interesting. They're stories that Jesus tells. But they're not just normal stories that are meant to simply entertain. They intended to do more than just entertain. They intended to convey truth, to, to teach something. And I find it very interesting um, that Jesus gets onto a boat and he goes and sits on the water while the crowd is on the shore, on the land. Um, and, I mean, there, there are practical reasons why he did it, because the crowd was so big, you know, they were sort of pressing him and he, he needed to create some, just some space between him and them. Um, also, water has a natural amplifying quality. So it naturally amplified his voice so that more of the people could hear him. But I also think, and, and the, the, the gospel writers often do this, they take things that are historical facts and they invest them with um, symbolic meaning. Because, and, and I think this, I don't know whether, the, whether Marcus, the author, intended this or whether it was just sort of a coincidence, but it's, it's quite telling to me that Jesus is on water, one medium, and the crowd is on land, a different medium. Because if, if I had to summarize parables, parables are, um, are, are earthly stories that convey heavenly truth. So, so in a sense, they're conveying truth from one dimension to another. From the spiritual dimension, they're translating spiritual truth from the spiritual dimension into physical physically understandable realities. So he's using the physical reality of, of seed and, and farming and sowing and, and seeds growing um, and some dying, but some growing and bearing fruit. He's, he's using that to explain spiritual realities and spiritual truths. And, and, and that's why it's, it's, it's as though he's, he's, he's speaking from the spiritual realm into the natural realm. And, and the, the two dimensions of water and land, speaking from the water to the land, sort of, in a sense, physically represents that. To me, that's, that's a, a beautiful picture of what a parable actually is. Um, and notice that um, he says that this parable is very important. He says, if you, if you can't understand this parable, how are you going to understand all the parables? So this parable is a key to unlocking uh, so many other things. And what this parable is all about is how to receive the word. The word is portrayed as seed that is sown into our hearts. 
And there are different ways. He mentions four different ways of responding to the word. The hard-hearted response of the pathway. The um, shallow-hearted response of the rocky ground. The half-hearted response of the thorny ground. And then the whole-hearted response of the good soil. And why that is important is because the quality of our heart, the quality of your heart determines the quality of your hearing. The quality of your heart determines the quality of your hearing. In other words, you don't just hear with your ears. You hear with your heart. And we know, any of us who have been in relationship for some time, we know that you can listen without hearing. You can see without perceiving. Okay? And that is what Jesus is addressing here. He says, make sure that the state of your heart is in such a condition that you can actually hear and respond correctly to the Word of God. And... Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a very powerful parable. And, and, and I just want to um, first start off talking about the soil, but then I also want to talk about the, um, the seed. Now, the soil obviously represents our hearts and the, the state of our hearts and the quality of our hearts. And the first one he mentions is the pathway. And the reality, and, and this is something that we need to hear over and over again. Because if we cannot get this right, then we cannot get anything else in Scripture right. Do you realize that? Do you realize that, that if the condition of your heart is in the wrong state, then nothing else from the Word of God will really benefit you. Nothing, no, none of the seed of the Word will bear fruit in your life. And so often we look at our lives, or at least at areas of our lives, and we see unfruitfulness in that area of our lives, and we wonder, why is it like that? Well, the basic reason why is because of the condition of our hearts. Sometimes our hearts are like a pathway. Um, my brother Harry and I were, were raised in Bluefontein. We, we were born in Somerset West, but we, we, we were quite young. I think about, I was about three, four years old, somewhere in that ballpark. We moved to Bluefontein. And we eventually settled in our primary school years in a small holding in Bainsflay, that sort of on Kimberley side of Bloemfontein. And um, I think my dad, we, we first moved to a, to a little farm and then to the small holding. And I think my dad sort of at, at those, in those days was sort of entertaining, you know, dreams of sort of farming on the side. But it, it never quite really happened, not... Not like I think my dad wanted it to happen, but I remember there was this big field um, that that was sometimes plowed, you know. And uh, we, we had friends, Harry uh, and I, uh, who were about our age, called uh, Tumiling and Sabata. They were two um, Basutu boys that were about our, roughly our age, and, and they were our best friends. And they lived on, in, a, in a little house on the other side of the field. So we lived in, in, in our house on this side of the field, and, and their mum used to do housekeeping for us. And, and they lived on, on, in a house on the other side of the field. And, and so, you know, while we were young, every day we would play together. We would walk across this field. And there was a pathway. And, um, you know, sometimes the, the, the field would get plowed and then it would sort of look clean. But then, you know, after a few weeks, you know, the, the thorns and the thistles and the, um, 
you know, the weeds and stuff would start coming up. But, but there would always be this pathway that we'd walk across, and nothing would ever grow on that because the, the, the ground gets compacted, you know, walking to and fro every day. The ground gets compacted, and, and no thorns, no weeds, nothing grew there, nothing good and nothing bad. And, you know, so often if we're not careful, because of the nature of life, When inevitably people walk across the soil of our hearts, our hearts can become very hard. Our hearts can become compacted like a footpath. And we can develop hard hearts that are unable to receive the seed of God's word, that are unable to, to um, that make it impossible for the word to even penetrate into our hearts. And you know, there's a, a saying that, I mean, often we, when we get hurt, we, we sort of approach our hurt as victims. We are the victims, you know, and we don't realize that our hurt is ours to deal with. The hardness of heart that comes from it. Because if, if someone hurts you, if someone cuts you or, or you get a scrape, then your skin eventually develops a callus. You know, um, I play guitar and, you know, the most difficult part of learning to play the guitar is in the beginning because your fingers are soft and you have to press those, those hard, those steel, you know, on acoustic guitar, those steel strings, and it hurts your fingers. So the first couple of months, your fingers get really hurt, and then later on, you develop calluses. So now when I play guitar, my fingers don't get hurt anymore because they become hardened. And... What I'm trying to say is what happened to that footpath or what happened to my fingers as they got hurt because of playing guitar can happen to your heart. You can develop calluses on your heart. You can develop a hardened calloused heart, a footpath heart that makes it impossible for the word to penetrate. And we must deal with that. The reality is that hurting people hurt people. If we deal with our hurt by becoming hardened and calloused, then we will hurt other people. And not only do hardened hearts lead to us hurting other people in our relationships, but it leads to us being unable to receive the word of God. And sometimes it's specific areas, just like on that field that, that we had. It wasn't the whole field that was a footpath, but the footpath went through the field. So there were certain areas in the field where nothing could grow. And sometimes our hearts are like that. It's like a field, but... There's a footpath that grows across a certain area of your heart. And in that area of your heart, there's a hardness and nothing grows. There's no fruitfulness. So my question to you is, what, what is the area in your heart where your heart is like a footpath? Where in your life have people trampled on you and you've become hardened like a footpath? That happens to all of us, but how do you respond? Do you allow God to come and plow up the soil of your heart, soften it? And it says that when that happens, not only is, is the natural response of hardening prevent the seed from penetrating, but there's a spiritual response. The devil comes and he takes away those seeds. You see, the, the devil, the, the one thing he doesn't want to happen is he doesn't want God's word to bear fruit in your life. He doesn't want God's word to penetrate your heart. The, the second kind 
of, of um, soil is the, is, is the stony, shallow-hearted response. Just, just by the way, let me just mention that what I'm saying now is not only applicable to how we respond to the Word of God, but how we respond in relationship with anything anyone says to us. So, for instance, the, sh- the, the stony ground represents a shallowness. It, it represents a lack of integrity. And, and notice that on the stony ground, the seed gets sown. Because it's shallow, it sprouts and it grows immediately. So there's a quick response. But then when the sun comes out, it withers and dies because there's no root, there's no depth. And a lack of integrity will cause us, and this is very important, in every area of our life, not just our relationship with God and His Word, but in every area of life, you know, where we have a lack of integrity, it will cause us to make quick commitments, be very quick to make commitments, but just as quick to break commitments. So we often think that, wrongly, that, you know, lack of integrity would prevent us from making commitments. It doesn't. Lack of integrity, uh, when we have a lack of integrity, we're often too quick to make commitments because we don't, the commitments don't mean that much to us. So people who have a lot of integrity are not quick to make commitments. They sometimes say, well, hang on, you know, let me, let me think about this for a while. I'm not just going to say yes to you because if I say yes, my yes means something to me. My yes must be yes and my no must be no. And I don't want to just give a yes or a no quickly. Let me think about this so that I can make a proper commitment when I do it. And that has effects in your relationships, you know, whether you make and then quickly break commitments. It has effects in your workplace, whether you can make commitments in your workplace and keep them. And, most importantly, it has effects in your relationship with God, whether you can receive His Word, commit to obey it, and then actually follow through on it and bear fruit. So, those stones of that, that, that sort of limit the depth in our hearts, we need to deal with them. We need to deal with them, otherwise they will prevent us from not only bearing fruit for God, but bearing fruit in every area of our lives. Um, and the third kind of soil is, is the thorny ground, the half-hearted response. So we looked at the hard-hearted, the shallow-hearted, and then the half-hearted response. And um, it, let me just read what it says there. It says, and others, this is verse 18 of Mark 4, are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And this talks about not a lack of responsiveness to God's word, but a responsiveness and a receptiveness to things that are contrary to God's word, the thorns, the thistles, the weeds. And he mentions a few years, the cares of this world. And it, it was amazing, Marcel and I think JP also spoke about these things. You know, we can so easy, easily fall into the cares of this world and worry about those things more and, and give them purchase in our hearts. 
So, so it's not just the seed of God's word falling in and germinating and starting to grow, but the, the seeds of worry, the seeds of anxiety, the seeds of greed, etc. that can fall in and they start growing. How hospitable is your heart to worldly things? Um, it talks about the deceitfulness of riches. It's, it's quite interesting that it specifically mentions that word, the deceitfulness of riches. How, is rich, how are riches deceitful? Riches are one of the primary things in our world that can give you a lot of the things that God can give you. Right? Riches can buy lots of stuff. It can give protection. It can give provision. It can even buy friends, I'm told. (laughs) So in, in other words, for many people, that's why Jesus also says, you cannot serve two masters, you cannot serve God and mammon, wealth. Nothing, you know, wealth per se or money per se is not the problem. It's having it as your master. Money is a, is a poor master but a good servant. But the problem is because wealth can, promises and can to some extent deliver some of the things that God can give to you, It is often the God of choice of many people. But it is deceitful in the sense that it promises many of the things that God can give you, but it can only deliver temporarily, and it cannot deliver on all of them. You can buy friends, but they will be fair-weather friends. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, followers on Twitter or on Instagram or whatever. You, You can... The, the point is you can buy those things, but if you get them with money, they, you're going to lose them again. They, they're only going to last for a while. And money can only serve you to some extent this side of eternity. It can only buy stuff for you this side of eternity. One day after death, I mean, no hearse has a trailer going behind it. You... I remember this, this, this story I heard about this very rich man in, the, in this town that died, and he had this big funeral, um, and, and, and the one guy watching the funeral, you know, m- most people in the town knew him because he was so rich and famous, said, how much did he, uh, did he, did he leave behind, you know, meaning, you know, how, how much money did he leave behind, and, and the other guy said, everything. <laughs> And, and that's it, you know, naked you come into this world and naked you leave it, you know. You, you cannot take anything with you. So in that sense too, riches are deceitful in that they, they make the promises of a God that can deliver you and take care of you and give you things, but it's deceitful because it's only temporarily. It's only te- uh, temporary. Um, and then it talks about the desire for other things. So, so our hearts must not only be receptive to the word of God, but our hearts must not be receptive to the things of this world, the cares of this world, the desires for, for, for riches. Um, we must love God and his word and his truth and, and actually reject other things. Um, then, then there's the, the good soil, the wholehearted response to God. And... That's soil that has been prepared where the thorns and the thistles and the rocks have been removed and the hard ground has been broken up. 
And the soil is receptive to the word of God and responsive to it. And, and then it says, they hear the word, they accept it, and they bear fruit. Uh, and, I, and I just want to link that to, um, to what it says here in verse 12 as well. It says, so that they may indeed see and not perceived, not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And, and it mentions there, if you, if, you, if you take those three steps, hearing, accepting, and bearing fruit, producing fruit. Um, hearing, in, in, those, in verse 12, it says you can hear, you can see. But then there's a next step that needs to happen. You need to perceive and understand. You, you hear with your ears, but you understand with your heart. You see with your eyes, but you perceive with your heart. So your hearing mustn't stop with your ears. Your heart condition must allow you to be able to understand and perceive. And then there's a turning. It talks about bearing fruit. There's a turning that needs to happen. In other words, repentance, a change of life. Receiving the word of God uh, demands change, change, change of us. Not, <laughs> change. <laughs> Of us. Um, in other words, we must pay attention. If we want to truly hear, we must pay attention not just to our ears, but to our hearts and to our lives. We must hear the word, listen to it, but then we must understand it and perceive it in our hearts. And then we must respond by changing, turning away from what is evil, turning towards what is good, repenting and bearing fruit. Uh, in our lives. So, so those are the different kinds of soil. And, you know, I've, I've noticed that most of these forms of soil, to some extent, respond to the Word of God. And the problem, usually, is not that we don't, that we reject all of God's Word, but that we don't accept all of God's Word. Because just think about this for a moment. If you ask secular people who are not, not believers about Jesus, they'll say, yes, I believe Jesus lived. I believe Jesus was a good teacher. I believe that his teachings are useful and helpful, and um, I think you know, people should follow most of them. Okay? If you talk to a Muslim, a Muslim will tell you, yes, I believe in Isa. I believe he um, was a miracle worker. I believe he was a good teacher and even a prophet. You know? So there are many things that are true that Muslims and Secularists would believe about Jesus that are correct. But then there are a lot of things that they would reject. They would reject that he is the Son of God and that he is himself God. They would reject the fact that he died for their sins and took the punishment that they deserved upon him. And they would reject that he rose from the grave and that he ascended and he seated at the right hand of the Father. So the problem, and, and, and this is what this heart condition causes us to do. You see, Here's, here's the thing, you know, it's so easy, even for us as Christians, to approach God's word. If we say that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, the word of God feeds us in a sense. But it's so easy to approach the word of God as a buffet. And I'm going to go to the buffet table of God's word and I'm going to pick and choose what I like and what I don't like. 
I'm going to eat the stuff that I like and I'm going to reject the stuff that I don't like. But if you accept in, from God's word what you agree with and reject what you disagree with, are you believing God's word or are you believing yourself? Are you obeying God's word or are you obeying yourself? You see, the condition of our heart, if our hearts are in the wrong condition, it'll cause us to have a buffet approach to God's word. You see, if we are fallen human beings with hearts that are fallen, then, and God's word is perfect in every way, we are imperfect, God's word is perfect, then it stands to reason that there are parts of God's word that our fallen hearts will not enjoy, will not like, and will want to reject. And for different people, it will be different. So, so I want you to understand the, the, the depth of the challenge here, that it's not just about accepting some of God's word, it's about accepting all of God's word, whether we like it or not. Learning to allow it to penetrate our hearts. Now, that's the, the soil, but what, what about the seed? It, it says um, that the seed is the word of God. And Here, we can know that our response to the word, you know, a crop, you know, when a farmer goes out and sows seed, the crop depends on the, the condition of the soil, the condition of the climate, how much rain, sunshine, and so on. These, but also on the condition and the quality of the seed. We don't have to worry about the quality of the seed. It's the best seed. <laughs> if the, our hearts are right, it will bear fruit in our lives. Okay? The seed is the, the word of God. Now, when he says the word, it means that it is, word implies information. It implies content. The word of God, the, the gospel, it has content. It's not something that you can just receive and it bypasses your mind. You have to understand it. And that's why it also mentions not just hearing but understanding, really understanding um, the word of God. So it's something to be understood, which means that, that you must Wrestle with it. You see, for seed to be able to grow, if I just take seed and I just drop it on top of the soil, chances are not that good that it will grow. The seed needs to penetrate the soil. And the deeper it penetrates, the better the chance that it will grow. And likewise with our hearts, the deeper the seed penetrates into our hearts, the better the chance that it will actually grow and bear fruit. It, and, 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 and here's the thing. Seeds are living things. They're not passive. They're alive in the sense that they can grow. Do you allow the word of God, firstly, to penetrate your heart? And secondly, to find enough depth and room there and moisture there, the living water of the Holy Spirit, so that it will actually start growing? Do you meditate on God's word? Allow it, in, in a sense, push it deeper into your heart. And, and as you meditate on it, allow it to start taking root in your heart and spreading its roots into the soil of your heart and growing in your heart. And that you can only do by actively meditating on God's Word. In fact, in some sense, you're doing that right now. You are allowing God's Word to penetrate your heart and you're meditating on it. We're meditating on it together and you're allowing it to take root in your heart and to grow in your heart. Um, 
But then, also notice that Jesus, the word that he preaches is not separate from him. He basically preaches himself. And he said, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But when it dies, it grows up and produces much fruit. And even in this parable, he was already hinting at what he would need to do for the word of God to be able to grow in our hearts and bear fruit in our hearts. He himself, as the seed, would have to fall into the ground and die. So that the seed of his word, he who is the word, can grow up in our hearts and bear fruit. And, and then also notice, it says, um, the sower went out to sow. Now, here's one of those cases where knowing the original language helps a little bit. Um, the, the word there, um, hosperon, literally, it's a participle. It it's literally means the one continuously sowing. The one continuously sowing. Jesus basically says, I'm the one continuously sowing. So in a sense, Jesus is the only sower. We also sow, but when we sow, Jesus is sowing. So here's what I want to, in fact, let me just show you that in another scripture. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 and 21, it says, but that but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him, and literally in, in the Greek it says that you have heard him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So he's talking to, Paul is talking here, 60 AD or wherever, um, 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection in his earthly ministry. He's talking to Gentile Christians and he said, if you are born again, then you heard Jesus. The, the about is not there in the Greek. It doesn't, I, I, I understand why the translators, because historically it's difficult, you know. If it literally says you heard him, but they know, Paul's talking to Christians in Ephesus who never met Jesus physically. How can, can, can Paul say you heard him? So they make it you heard about him. But literally what Paul is saying is, you heard him, you heard Jesus. And that's what the parable of the sower is saying. It's saying that Jesus is the one continuously sowing. In other words, as I'm speaking to you now and throwing out the seed of God's word, yes, I'm sowing, but Jesus is sowing. Even 2,000 years later, Jesus is still the one sowing the word. And right now, you have the same challenge and opportunity to respond to God's word in, in the same way that Jesus and his early disciples, Jesus' early disciples had. In other words, what I'm saying is, if you receive the word, you're not just receiving it from me. You're receiving it directly from Jesus. You're receiving it through me, but you're not receiving it from me. You're receiving it from Jesus. Because he's the one who continuously sows. And... And then just in closing, um, if you say, okay, I see hardness in my heart, hard-hearted response, pathway. I see some shallowness in my heart in some areas. 
some lack of integrity, shallow-hearted response. I see some thorns and thistles that I've allowed to come in. I need to do some weeding in my life. How, how do you do that? So there are two aspects. One is what God does. Jesus says to the disciples, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. The keys to the kingdom, the secrets to the kingdom, the ability to understand the word is something that is given to you. God gives it to you. When you get born again, many of you would have experienced this. All of a sudden, the word opens up to you in a way that it had not before. I I remember, um, you know, I, I grew up in a relatively, you know, our family was a relatively nominal Christian family. And when I, on my 13th birthday, I actually got born again. And after that, I had a real hunger for God's Word. And I, I would sit there and read the Word. And, um, but um, sometimes I'd, I'd fall asleep. So I remember a few times, you know, my mom would come, you know, during the week, you know, into my, my room. And I'd be sitting there on, on my, uh, at, at my desk, you know, lying on top of my Bible, fast asleep. <laughs> but I had this hunger. Sometimes the, the, the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. <laughs> But I had this hunger for the Word of God, even though I sometimes fell asleep reading it. I had this hunger for the Word of God, and all of a sudden the Word of God made sense to me. And many of you would have experienced that as well. Because it has been given to you to understand the secrets. But then also there's something that we must do in in Hosea 10 verse 12. You can just bring that up on the screen quickly. It says, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground. For it is... For it is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. God gives it to us. God gives us the desire. God gives us the hunger. But but we also have a responsibility to plow up our fallow ground. Fallow ground is ground that is unfruitful. Ground that is hard or shallow or thorny. Where the word does not grow. And... On the one hand, God does this through our circumstances that are difficult. Sometimes the, I don't know if you've seen a plow, but it has blades that cut into the ground. And sometimes suffering is God plowing up our hearts, allowing circumstances, the blades of the plow of circumstances to to cut into the soil of our hearts. And and we complain about it, but it actually lifts the soil. It it, it pulls out the thorns and the thistles. It, It breaks up the hardness of the ground. So sometimes it's circumstances, but sometimes it's also just our repentance. By repenting, we plow up our own hearts, our fallow ground, breaking up the hard ground and the unresponsive ground so we can respond to God. So let's, let's stand. So, so often we resp- we, we, we're focused on the Word and understanding the Word, and, and we don't focus enough on the means by which we receive the word and respond to the word our hearts so uh, the the quality of your heart determines the the quality of your hearing how well can you hear do when jesus says he who has ears to hear let him hear do you understand now that he's not just talking about I mean, us as parents, we know this. We, we sometimes grab our kids' ears and say, what are these? Are these ornaments? <laughs> you know? Do you, do you actually use them, you know? 
because you make all the right noises. We, we tell it, give you instructions. You say, yes, mama, yes, papa, but, but then nothing happens. You know, there's no response. <laughs> um, sometimes spiritually we like that. You know, these are just ornaments. Because it's not just your ears that you hear with. It's your heart that you hear with. And if the quality of your heart determines the quality of your hearing, how well do you hear? And what do you need to do to be able to hear better? God wants to help you to hear better. Think about it. If you can learn this one thing, if you can get this thing right, then inevitably you'll get every other thing in the Word of God right because you'll be able to receive the Word of God, accept it, hear it, accept it, and respond to it by bearing fruit. If this thing is in place, then inevitably and progressively everything else will fall into place. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.